This week on the Video Games Podcast, we will be discussing the latest report coming out of Bloomberg about a potential new Nintendo Switch model launching later this year. We're also going to be giving you our review for two games that we recently played, including the PlayStation 5, PlayStation Plus game of March, Maquette, and we also have our thoughts on the Pokemon Metroidvania mashup, Monster Sanctuary. So if you want to skip ahead to either review or to our thoughts on the Switch Pro, then check out the timestamps in the description. And with all that said and done, let's get right into it after this. We love doing our 21 question review, but felt like some games could have used a different approach, and I would like to introduce our second format for reviewing a game, The First 48. The idea comes from the television show, The First 48, which is based on missing persons, and the theory is basically if the detectives don't find a lead within the first 48 hours, then the chances of solving the case are cut in half. And I don't know if there's any actual data behind this theory, and personally, I've never seen a single episode of the show, but I do think the premise does apply to reviewing games quite well. In the first 48 minutes of a game, you should be able to know enough about the visuals of the game, the story, the mechanics, the gameplay loop, and many other things. And even better, within the first 48 hours, you will know if the game has done enough to get its hooks into you and whether or not you're going to be coming back because we both know that if we don't return to the game in the first two days, we likely aren't coming back after that. Everyone leads a busy life in one way or another these days, and if you can figure out if a game is going to click with you or be abandoned after 48 minutes, then you can spend more time doing what you love. Maquette. It sounds better than Diorama or Model, but more importantly, is it worth your time? We are now seeing a trend with PlayStation, and more specifically PlayStation Plus, where the service is now getting brand new games on the day of release. We saw it first on the PlayStation 5 with Bug Snacks, and we have seen it again with Destruction All-Stars, and now the Perspective Puzzler Maquette. Enjoying my time with other first-person puzzle games like The Room and The Witness, Maquette seemed like it would be fitting right in, and being published by Annapurna Interactive was a very encouraging sign. Instantly, Maquette stands out from the rest by taking a different narrative path, and instead of trying to unravel some deep and dark mystery, you're trying to piece together memories of a young relationship. Unlike other difficult puzzle games, Maquette does take advantage of the in-game help system that PlayStation touted prior to the release of the PlayStation 5, which means that if you're stuck for a long period of time and feel like there's no way out, then the answer is just a click of the DualSense away. Maquette is a French word for model, which is the core concept of the game. The puzzle requires creative thinking by using the model system nested in another model and so on. Your first puzzle requires you to use the model town in front of you that is about half the size of your character. The pathway that you need to go on is blocked by a giant red cube that is about four times as big as your character. However, moving it in the model also moves the larger cube from the door that you are now able to access. One of my favorite design choices made by Graceful Decay was to put up glowing walls to the areas that aren't a concern to you at the immediate moment. In many puzzle games, or all games for that matter, sometimes you spend way too much time wasted trying to solve something that is basically impossible to you at that time. 
Early on in the game, I had a bridge model that I knew what to do with and where to put the model after I found it in the real world, but the game controls were fighting me the whole time, which became frustrating and eventually caused me to reconsider if what I was doing was right in the first place. I pulled up the help system on the PlayStation 5, and sure enough, what I was trying to do was the right thing, except the controls were making it seem like I wasn't. The controls do continue to be an issue for me, as I feel like I'm constantly fighting the button layout. Maquette features the vocal talents of Bryce Dallas Howard and Seth Gable. The relationship is very believable in the game because these characters are actually married in real life, and this creates authenticity that just can't be replicated by actors. This connection is extremely important as the game is built around the puzzle and the relationship, and not executing on one of these aspects would have been very detrimental to Maquette. Based on the speed on which the story advanced in the first 48 minutes, Maquette is a game that could be finished during a weekend sitting or weekend binge. Similar to games like The Witness, The Room, and Superliminal, there is no multiplayer in Maquette, but sitting on the couch and binging wouldn't be too much different from something on Netflix. Obviously, being a PlayStation Plus title means that you should definitely try this game out, and I will be coming back within the first 48 hours to try and finish it. Does mashing up Pokemon with Metroidvania produce Pokemania? Monster Sanctuary tries to figure it out. Some of my personal favorite games of recent memory include Dead Cells, Hollow Knight, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, among many others, but I draw attention to these games because they are some of the best Metroidvanias. It's clearly evident I have a certain fondness for a good Metroidvania, but one genre that is never truly connected with me is Pokemon-style monster taming and collecting RPGs. Monster Sanctuary looks to blend some of the best elements of both, and has definitely piqued my interest. Now, does a spoonful of Metroidvania sugar make all the difference? Before going any further, I would like to personally thank Team17 for providing me with a review code for Monster Sanctuary. The first moments of Monster Sanctuary feel similar to many retro-style games of recent memory, 16-bit pixel art, 2D, and minimalist retro music, and these characteristics won't help Monster Sanctuary stand out from the crowded pack and oversupply of Metroidvanias that exist today. However, just a few steps into your journey, you realize what separates this game from others in the genre. Monster Sanctuary is less about exploring and backtracking, although secret and locked passages do exist. Instead, the game focuses on monster taming, collecting new monster eggs, hatching them, and leveling them up to aid you in your journey across the lands and become the backbone of what Monster Sanctuary is, for better or worse. You are from one of four prominent bloodlines of monster keepers which are what they sound like and your journey into this dangerous world doesn't start alone as you pick your loyal companion or familiar at the start of the game. The options are lion, wolf, frog, and bird, all of which have different strengths and weaknesses and similar to many other fantasy and RPGs, these skills include fire, water, earth, and wind and I chose the lion which seemed like the most balance of companions with attacks in both fire and wind and with my spectral lion selected, we began our journey as a new monster keeper on the keeper's trail. The first job as a new monster keeper is to figure out how to fight other monsters, collect eggs, hatch them, and raise them so that they may aid you in your journey, and you initiate battle by just contacting monsters along your journey. You can't avoid them by jumping in the game, but you are limited in your movement. Monster Sanctuary controls fine for a platformer, although it may not have the precision of a game like Celeste or Dead Cells, but that isn't the main reason you would be playing this game. 
Within the first few hours, I wanted more exploration that I found myself avoiding some of these battles to see what secrets awaited me in the world of Monster Sanctuary. And for my preference, I wanted Monster Sanctuary to be more of a Metroidvania first and RPG second, but it feels the other way around. Battles aren't like your typical Metroidvanias with a simple combination of button presses. Instead, the combat is more methodical and is built around an RPG system where you have to look for your elemental weaknesses on enemies and determine who should attack first as well as which of your characters should be healing. This method of combat provides a depth that most Metroidvanias usually lack. Your team is composed of three monsters which you will quickly find on your travels and monster eggs can be found by defeating that type of enemy in an efficient manner. In the first 48 minutes, I was able to collect, hatch, and level up six monster eggs. You will also have a backup roster of monsters which you can select which three you want to bring into battle. A smart feature of Monster Sanctuary is that your team will slightly level up even if you don't bring them into battle, keeping them at very relevant levels. And leveling up happens fairly quickly, which keeps you very invested in the world, your roster of monsters, and creates a very addicting gameplay loop. Selecting which monster follows you around during the moment-to-moment -moment exploration actually will make a difference in your ability to forge new paths. Using each monster's unique elemental is a way that Monster Sanctuary creates a hybrid of genres. Some monsters have the ability to break down walls, revealing hidden paths, and others allow you to float, enabling you to make jumps that seemed out of reach. During your exploration, you will find hidden areas and treasure chests that feature loot such as gold, weapons, and equipment to help you buff your monsters. The Metroidvania aspect of the game echo the more 90s style where exploration is fairly surface deep. If you see a jump too high or a wall blocked by vines, then you just have to figure out how to unlock it. Whereas modern titles completely change the game's mechanics in each new area that you discover. Discovering and leveling up monsters, grinding for slightly better gear, and filling out skill trees are the essence of Monster Sanctuary. Monster Sanctuary leans into the min-max nature of RPGs, where different skill tree upgrades on different monsters make all the difference, or strategically determining which order your monsters attack create the best possible combos. Spending your time creating the best team of monsters for your journey is the backbone of this experience. If you love Pokemon-style RPGs that include collecting monsters, with a little spiced Metroid exploration, then you will be addicted to Monster Sanctuary. On a more news front, the will they, won't they ambiguity from Nintendo about releasing a Switch Pro doesn't feel too different from Ross and Rachel from Friends or Jim and Pam from The Office. It feels like we've been hearing about this potential model for years. There have been leaks, reports, speculations, inside sources, and even quotes from some of the higher-ups at Nintendo. On February 1st, at the last Nintendo earnings report for fiscal year 2021 quarter 3, which we covered when asked about the possibility of a new, more powerful Switch model, Juntaro Furukara responded by saying that with Nintendo Switch having just marked its highest sales in its fourth year on the market, we do not have plans to announce a new model. And these words are coming from the president of Nintendo, but they are very vague. We have seen Nintendo in the past do this dance before as a publicly traded company with the upcoming release of the special edition Monster Hunter Rise Switch and the just released blue and red version. They obviously want to sell those units and save the news of a new Switch for a different fiscal period as fiscal year 2021 has been almost as good as it could have been for Nintendo considering the situation. Nintendo has been a company that likes to stick with what works when something works, and that includes the constant remastering, rebundling, repacking, and other form of reselling their old games to you, 
as well as offering multiple options for consoles. Iterations have been plentiful, dating all the way back to the Nintendo 64 with the rainbow assortment of colors all the way up to the many varieties that existed for the DS and the 3DS. It's obvious that newer models of the Switch are on the way, but obviously the unknown factor is when. And this brings us to the latest report from Takashi Mochizuki from Bloomberg that says that Switch Pro, or whatever moniker it will be given, is going to be released later in 2021. According to the article, the Switch Pro will launch in time for the holidays, will have a larger OLED screen made by Samsung, and will output in docked 4K. And these new features will produce results that some hardcore Nintendo fans have been asking for for some time now, including higher resolution, better performance, and longer battery life. The OLED display, which will be manufactured by Samsung, is reportedly going into production around June with a target of a million units per month so that the panels can be shipped to the assembly factories for July. One million units does sound a little on the low end for a holiday season, which likely means that it will be similar to almost every other Nintendo product at launch and will be extremely scarce. And even more so this holiday season, when multiplied against the effects of COVID and people still likely preferring to order online. I can't see any reason why this will go any different than how the Xbox series and the PlayStation 5 went with their messy launches and the bots galore. Nintendo Switch Lite released on September 19th, 2019, and between that date and the end of 2019, it sold 5.19 million units worldwide, and that is about 2.5 million per month for a Switch that doesn't switch, can't disconnect the Joy-Cons, and was not released during a pandemic. If Samsung is able to manufacture around 1 million screens per month in July, that would mean that a similar release date to the Switch Lite in mid-September, that there would only be around 3 million units available for purchase. In a seemingly best-case scenario, by December, there would be somewhere around 5 million Switch Pros that would have been produced and ready for purchase. In my opinion, the Switch Lite only appealed to a certain demographic that only used their system in handheld, similar to a DS or a 3DS, whereas the Switch Pro basically targets everyone. All of the existing Switch owners who've owned their system for almost five years when holiday 2021 comes around, the owners who are tired of the battery life, the people that have upgraded to a 4K TV since 2017, and any person who has not bought a Switch yet and is thinking about getting into the ecosystem. The simple math on this equation is that there easily won't be enough systems available for purchase by a wide margin. In true Nintendo frugal strategy, the OLED panels that will be used for the Switch Pro will be rigid OLED as opposed to flexible OLED, which is used in higher-end smartphones and premium electronics, and this makes sense as Nintendo is able to secure a lower price on the components and the Switch Pro doesn't need a flexible display. Nintendo has never been about using the latest and greatest technology, but instead using what they do have to its fullest potential. The good news now is that the display will be OLED and will be larger from 6.2 inches now to a 7-inch screen. However, a bit of a downside is that the screen will only be 720p, which is likely fine for now and the games that the Switch has been producing, but doesn't feel like a future-proof move. The current Switch is already producing 720p LED screen, so it's somewhat unfortunate that they didn't get the boost to 1080p. 
4K would have been overkill on a screen this size as even one of the most premium electronics available today, the iPhone 12 Pro Max is only 2.8K which retails for almost $2,000 when it's fully upgraded. Understandably, Nintendo does want to keep the cost down on the Switch Pro based on their use of the rigid OLED, 720p resolution, and the size increase not being too big that it can still use the same Joy-Cons. The other puzzle piece that has yet to be put into place will be what will be launching alongside the Switch Pro. Now, it's possible that Nintendo just doesn't care and knows the product will sell out regardless, but to really drive sales of all of the Switch models during and through the holidays, it would make sense to launch alongside a premium Nintendo tentpole game. The most obvious answer would be Breath of the Wild 2 will be the big game for holiday 2021 as it is still the 35th anniversary of the series and it will have been almost 5 years since the release of Breath of the Wild. At the last Nintendo Direct they did say that we would get more information on the sequel later this year so that's possible. But at this point it could be almost anything from games that we already know that Nintendo is working on like Metroid Prime 4 or Breath of the Wild 2 to other games that we could assume are coming from Nintendo including Mario Kart 9 or the next wholly original Mario title. That's all for the video games podcast this week. Thank you for listening and hopefully if you haven't checked out Maquette or Monster Sanctuary yet then you have a better idea if you should. Now if you enjoyed the show then subscribe if you haven't already so that you can get the show weekly and as always remember to be nice to your fellow gamer but more importantly be nice to your fellow human.